So I'm Francisco from Neural DSP and today we are in another episode of Inside the Machine podcast and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Bo Burchell. Did I get it right this time? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a, it's a French name and uh, I'm, I'm so, it, it doesn't even matter how people pronounce it, you know, because I think when you're growing up with a name that is, uh, I guess, especially in America where it's B-E-A-U, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you have people kind of like, what is B-O, B-U, B-A-U, how, how do yeah. you say your name, you know? And then, of course, you know, going to coffee spots like like Starbucks or somewhere, you say your name is Bo, and and they write down Bill or, or B-O-W or B-O-E, and like, I've seen it spelled a thousand different ways. So now, just as, as long as you're like, it sounds something close, I'll answer to it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's cool. You have flexibility on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the worst is that it, it rhymes with no also. So every time somebody, you know, my whole life, there's always been a chance that someone's been like, hey, no, no. And I'm turning around like, hey, what? Who? What? Me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, for, for people who don't know you, um, can you introduce yourself? Who are you? What have you done so far? Why Why are you who you are? Right. Uh yeah, my name is Bo Burchell, and uh, I'm, I guess, the founding and kind of like main guy and, well, there's two main guys now, but uh, I'm like the founding member of the band Seosin. Um, we, I think we started in 2002, mm-hmm. kind of at the very beginning of, I guess, what is called like Screamo, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very, I, I was really influenced by... I wanted to make a band that was kind of like a hardcore version of Bjork, I guess. Okay. So, and at the time, no one was doing really crazy drums. And drums have always been something that have uh, really drawn me to music. So, the focus of the band was just to have crazy drums and make really uh, kind of Swedish metal inspired, uh, inspired kind of like uh, melodic guitar lines. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm also very influenced by a lot of pop melodies and any sort of like m- melody that can make me feel something. Mm-hmm. So um, that was kind of the main focus of the, and then just kind of like the the weirdness and uh, avant gardeness of a of a you know an artist like Bjork, you know. So mm-hmm. to be able to get that type of melding together of two totally different things, I thought was really cool. Um, I don't know if we ever pulled it off, but that was kind of the original, <laughs> that was the original intention. Um, and then from there, I started, you know, recording my own band and other people started hearing it. And I was just working out of, my parents had, I was living with my parents because, you know, when you're starting as a, a musician, I guess, you kind of sacrifice everything for the music, or I guess all parts of life, you know what I mean? Whatever you're truly passionate about, you f- I feel like you give up everything to put all of your energy into doing whatever your passion is, yeah, you know? True. So so I gave up all my freedom and moved back home with my parents and, you know, moved into my old bedroom as a kid and started, you know, I convinced them to let me have half of a two-car garage. So in the U.S., a two-car garage is basically 20 feet by 20 feet. Yeah. So I converted a 10 by 20 foot area into two small rooms. So almost like two eight by eight pods and that's where I recorded our first Seosin stuff and the, the Bled past the Flask, the Bronx one, uh, uh, probably about like at least 10, 15 records there. And it was so hot, I had no central air. And, <laughs> you know, in Southern California, it gets pretty hot in the summer. Mm-hmm. So what we would have to do is, you know, and you, when you have, especially when you have two, uh, you know, like two hundred watt amps, like in the control yeah, room with yeah. you. You know, so you have two hundred watt amps in there, and you have like a tiny little console and like a power amp for your monitors and the yeah. computer. Of course, the computer is a big source of heat. And yeah. uh, so, you know, that plus two guys in there and the back chairs in the back of the room. So we would have to like do a couple takes and then open the door and like try to get <laughs> fresh air in. And I sp- always remember like, hey man, can you fan the door? And we would have to like hold the door yeah. and like yeah, let's try to get air in there. Um, but yeah, so that's how I started out, and then people started hearing the recordings, and they liked them, um, and it just kind of grew a very organic way. Um, people started wanting me to do my thing, and then, uh, you know, but of course, someone would come in, and I think maybe at some point, I started charging for recordings, but before, but prior to that, I, you know, someone would come in with three toms, and I... Um, 
I'd say, yeah, it's great, but I only have two Tom mics. So I'll record, I'll record your band, but you have to buy me another 421, you know? Or, so I was working for gear to try to build up a, a gear arsenal. And that's uh, a good strategy. Never heard that before. Nice one. Well, yeah. And it, and it was nice too, because, uh, you know, people are, I think people are more open to almost like a trade type of mm, thing to mm. where like, I'll buy you something like, like it was, it was like, they were more willing to buy me, you know, a $300 microphone, but they weren't really willing to pay me $300. Yeah. You know, it, it was a weird psychological thing that happened. Because so, they know that what, you, what they're buying is going to be affecting their own record. So pretty right. much they, they want to buy something good at the same time. So it's... Yeah. It's a, <laughs> they're it's buying nice it for one. themselves. They're yeah. buying it for themselves, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So I started doing that and uh, let's see. Then from there, it just kind of grew. And then the band started taking off. So the band went touring uh Man, I think at one point we were touring for almost 11 months straight. Oh. Um, you know, just just really beating it down. Wow. And and that was fun, but I think um because I'm so passionate about like the creating side of music, and I've kind of said it before, I love I love making music, but I don't necessarily love being in a band. And I think what that means is, you know, if you've I mean, you have a guitar sitting there, so I'm assuming you're a musician. And <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like but it's like the there's that kind of like the 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 process of creating music and being with people and yep. uh that kind of the feeling of creating something and accomplishing something is fantastic. But but having to deal with the one guy that's like you know, and it's not like being at a company where you can fire him or something, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's like, he's, he's like, he's just there, you know? Yeah, and it's like, yeah. it's like, how do you deal with a person that's like, maybe not on board with what your vision is, you yeah, know? That's or, extremely difficult. Like having a band yeah. is committing to responsibilities and, and, and personalities of like, it's like having, I always say this, it's like having a band is like having multiple girlfriends. Like you have, yeah. You have different situations, different dramas between like different conflicts that you have to solve, especially if you are like kind of leading this project and not everybody is on board on the same picture. Some, some people just want to go and play the songs on stage, but they won't, don't want to participate in anything else. And then you right. depend on that person because he wants to be on stage. And of course, he's a good player because that's why he's there. But then when you need to record the bass, for example, then you have to fuck like record it yourself. Right. Or or like you cannot call him on a Sunday because he I don't know, he likes to <laughs> you know, he likes to do something else and for you is priority. Like that's your right. priority in your head, that's the most important thing in your life and it's yeah. it's very very difficult to deal with that. So that's um it's 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 good that you're t talking about that because I I guess that many listeners probably are in the same situation. So yeah. how 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 did you start dealing with that? Like you you just quit your band or no, you still have it, right? Yeah, so I still have the band. Um, I think what ended up happening is, um, you know, after I, and I think the the problem is is that, you know, when you're in, when you're in a band, it's almost like a, a an alternate reality to where all logical, all sense of logic that you would have in real life it just gets thrown out the window. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's mm -hmm. like oh, this person is not performing to where they should be, and they're bringing you down. Hmm. Well, why don't you fire them? Oh, I can't do that. Can't do that. He's in the band. It's like, well, hmm. Hmm. in any other area of life, if a person is not performing, if they're not giving 100%, then you would fire them, you know, yeah. or you would yeah. or you would remove them from your life if they're not yeah. a positive impact in your life. Hmm. And but I feel like when you're in a band, it's just you, it's it's like, well, he's my brother. I can't really yeah. I can't divorce my brother, you know what I mean? Or there, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so, you know, I think what, what ended up happening or what ends up happening is I think that you end up letting it go on for so long until the point where you're, it's like kind of like that battered girlfriend syndrome, you know, and it's like, <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. it's like, well, you know, but when we're together, it's great, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like, yeah, like when, well, you know, 90% of the time when we're not on stage, this person, you know, or, you know, there's the chance, I don't want to say that any of this is like directly about me, you know? Yeah, no, that's no, fine. It's just um, a general rule. I mean, it, it happens, yeah, yeah. happened to me and I, I guess it happens to everyone. So that's yeah. why it's interesting. And what happens, and I see it a lot too with other bands that yeah, I'm definitely. producing it's, a lot, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, you know, it's like, well, the 90% of the time that, you know, we're off stage, this person totally sucks and I hate mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. about them. But mm -hmm. then when we're on stage for those, that hour, 
it's great, you know. Mm-hmm. So and it and it's tough because then you start justifying it. You know, it's like, well, the ninety yeah. percent, you know, does the ten percent really outweigh the ninety? Is it worth yeah. it? You know. Yeah. And then I think as you, I think when you're younger, that ninety percent of crap that you deal with, like, is fine. But I think as we start getting older, we start realizing that our time is more valuable. Mm. And, you know, it, it's like the experience of everything, you know, and starting to realize that, you know, you don't actually like have to do these things. You don't have to put up with these things. And then you, you get to that point where it's like, well, I only want to do this if it's fun. You know, like mm. this started out as something that I was very passionate about. And if this is the only thing that's making it not fun for me, why don't I just remove that? And yeah. keep it fun. Yeah. So, exactly. and it so takes finally, a lot, it takes a lot of energy to to keep that rhythm. And then, yeah. like, of all the things that you have to worry about, like on top of the music, then you have to start dealing with this kind of conflicts. And it it drains your energy slowly and starts draining it and draining it. And then, like, right. all of a sudden, like everybody explodes and the project goes to hell. So it's a very yeah. difficult. Like, and, and I guess that, like, you you talked about that if it would be any other type of business like the relationship is different if somebody's not doing the job then you kind of fire him right. and um it's interesting that that slowly you start understanding who is the, the suitable person for that job that you're trying to find like who is the right person who's the right profile of the of person that you want in the band that can deal with all the responsibilities that it takes and also given the space that that person needs or wants like which how much how much time are you gonna put on this well i can have like you know mondays to fridays and i can go on tour anytime you call okay then you count on that and that person you know that if you're gonna call him on a sunday he's you know he's not there to record in the studio but if it's a tour then he is and and you know i guess that things start to get more structured once the band is like moving on and and as as you said we get older so (laughs) i guess that organization is a very very important topic no yeah, yeah, as well as, you know, just um you know, starting to realize, you know, I'm sure as you probably know, you know, like as you become the uh, you know, a a person who contributes, let's just say like or I I hate to say importance, but like, mm-hmm. you know, as as your role at the company or wherever your it is role, you are yeah. at, you know, as your as your role becomes uh uh, irreplaceable, you know, yep. or like, yep. or detrimental to the, to the company's success. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the other members start to become less and less, uh, have start to have and start to prove less and less worth, mm-hmm. it starts to become a little bit of, uh, you know, there starts to get some friction there as far as, uh, even, even thinking about, uh, pay, you know, um, as, as far as like, well, you know, like you said, if, if you're always unavailable to record on Sundays, but I'm always working on Sundays, how can we, how can we agree that that's fair? Yeah. So, you know, and, and especially with being in a band, when you think about, um, you know, being songwriters, you know, Mm. we're the people that are constantly staying up at night, you know, mm. uh, not going out to bars and not partying, mm. and sitting in our little music room trying to come up with riffs and and songs, and yeah. you know all the all of the hours that it that it that you do aside from being in the studio, mm. you know, and all of that time. Whereas uh, you know the guy that's unavailable to record on Sundays, he's gets to hang out with his friends and go to the bars and do everything that he wants. Um, whereas the writers have to sacrifice that. But yeah. then when it comes time to decide on, you know, writing and royalties and everything along that side of things, it's funny how all of a sudden those people that are unavailable think that they should be accommodated the same, yeah. you know. Would you recommend so, to like people that are starting, like having their bands and like growing slowly or like that they're, they're, they're thinking that the band is like escalating and they don't know how to handle it. How would you recommend to to settle these points from from the start, or you think it's it has to naturally just grow and like because I guess that everybody is also different. But these 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 things happen very often. So would would you would you agree that they it's a it's a very good thing to to like at least if there's any person leading the project somehow clearly, uh, like to try to structure these kind of concepts. As, as, as sooner as possible or 
I mean, maybe it, it's mm. such a it's such a touch tough thing, you know, because especially at the start of a band, you want to, you know, there's normally no pay yeah. at the at the at the beginning of a band, exactly. and you're and you're expecting everyone to contribute, you know, whether it be, you know, hey, we have to go into the rehearsal spot, and it's going to cost you twenty dollars to go yeah. rehearse in our band, uh, you know, so you think about it like that and and then but then how do you say like hey I expect you to pay for the rehearsal spot but I but I'm the leader of the band and it's my band and I'm going to collect all the money balance. very difficult and balance because you never want to be a dictator exactly in it. even and you want every you know and in the beginning you want everyone to feel like they're contributing even though they may not be mm. um you know there's definite it, it it happens all the time where it's kind of like hey I have uh here's the song for you guys to, to learn, you know, or whatever situation. There's been plenty of times where it's like, hey, here's the song. Um, I think it might need, you know, like a little lead guitar part here, there, you know, something kind of like this. And you and in your brain as the writer, you already know yeah, that this is exactly want. what it needs to be, yeah. you know. And so you give them this little half-written thing to try to, to try to like make them feel included, yeah. you know. And, and then by the time you know, maybe they fumble around with it and come up with, you know, somewhere close to what you envisioned, then you kind of like, oh, okay, great. What if we just changed a few things and now it's yeah. back to exactly what you envisioned in yeah. the first place. Yeah. And it's tough because then, um, you know, because then by you making them feel like they wrote something mm -hmm. and they feel connected to it now, uh, now I think then at that point it becomes a thing where they actually feel like they wrote it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in reality, they didn't, you know, yeah. so, so it's, it, it, and it's tough because, you know, and even when, you know, I see a lot of bands starting out where it's like, no, everybody gets, you know, equal splits. We're all equal members. And then I'll see one guy in the band doing all of the work, you know, mm -hmm. and the rest and the rest of the band is just on the couch on YouTube the whole time, yeah. you know, and it's just kind of interesting. It's kind of like, man, like, how do you, like, how do you, how do you feel good about that? Mm. You know, or, or like to the guy on the couch, you know, it's like, how do you feel good about, <laughs> yeah, exactly. how do you feel good about taking the money from him when you're not doing anything? You know, yeah. so it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty interesting, but yeah, as far as what I recommend it to the different bands is it's so hard and every band is different, you know, yeah. and some, and some guys are totally fine with it, you mm. know? It's just very important to keep it professional, as professional as possible. Like yeah. I've seen many bands that they have like great songs, like super talented people, but when when the time to rehearse comes, it's almost like a party there, you know, like right. everybody like getting fucked up every time that they have to rehearse and then like when they time it's time to record they book a studio but they haven't rehearsed for months or you know like rookie mistakes that are are like as soon as as you notice that they're wrong you need to fix them and try to get professional as possible if you believe that your project is professional and and you want to invest your 150 percent of time on it like you rather take it seriously and, right. and and communicate that to the rest and then you can see right. like try to get that difficult balance because some of them might be your best friend. Some of them you just met and you don't want to be an asshole. And, you know, it's a, it's a very, very difficult balance that you have to forge, you know. Yeah. So it's, it, for me, it's really respectful when, when, when people have these like, bands for many, many years and they have been struggled with different conflicts. And, you know, they become, by the end, on those like 20 years or 30 years, uh, in the end, you become like brothers and you just don't care anymore. You know, like, you know, the person right. so well that it doesn't matter. You know how, how that person is and what you can count on and what you can't. And that's that's the way. But it's a it's a very interesting thing. And it, when, when you started recording your, your your own band, like changing topic to record somehow, um, when you started getting your mics, like you just built your own studio in that garage, and then like, how did you start learning all these things? Like you just tried an error, and then you just went off from there. Did you read something? You went to school. How how did it go? Man, so so I started at in let's say 1998. Hmm. So right at the beginning of uh, so right out of I graduated high school in 1997. And this dates how old we are, you know. Uh, so I graduated high school in 97, went on tour with a band that I was playing in. And, uh, well, 
graduated high school, went right into a studio and went up to Los Angeles, the studio called Front Page at the time, you know, like all the studios always change their names because new owners buy them and stuff. Yep. But at the time we were there, it was called Front Page. And Guns N' Roses, I guess, had done some of Appetite for Destruction there. Mm. And uh, I think it was, I think it was Cheryl Crow was like in the studio next to us, you know, and it was just a really exciting thing. And it was all analog, you know, reel to reel recording on like a huge Neve board, you know, and like the crazy big reel, you know, the full studio experience. And, um, and it was just, you know, a really cool thing. But then I started, you know, thinking like, man, I, I I really like this part almost better than being in the band. Like this is exciting. And, so I started, you know, playing around and being like the annoying guy in the band to the engineer, you know, and like, you know, so like, hey, like how, like what's going on with like the, uh, the, like, what are those weird things that you have taped on like the walls? And he's like, oh, those are like PZM microphones for the rooms. It sounds really cool on here. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So is that like reverb, you know? And he's like, well, kind of it's room you know and i would ask him all these questions and then and you know and and as you're starting out you think you know something so you're trying to prove that you know it to someone you know and it's kind of like and it's like hey are we going to use like the reverb mics on guitar and he's like well no it's like no that's not a good idea for that you know and here's why you know and then starting to learn more and more about things and uh he was nice apparently like he he was he was a little nice but i think also too i was just so uh just had sparkles in my eyes from looking at all the equipment you know and like and i think that was even the first time i even saw a telephone like in a studio that had like uh i mean now you won't even see like a real landline telephone in a studio but like you know but it had like you know it was the type of you know like the business phone that had like six different lines and it was like (laughs) you know and it was like you'd be recording and it'd be like yo studio and it was like but the assistant would answer you know like studio and then it's like oh yep okay cool i'll tell him Hey guys, food's here. All right, see ya. You know, and so it was like the full, full big studio experience. And, uh, but yeah, so I started asking him a question. I'm sure I probably annoyed him just to no end. But uh, then this, and then the second record we did, it was also all analog, reel to reel. We actually did it. Um, there was a studio. That, remember that band, Alien Ant Farm? Yeah, sure. So they had a studio in Huntington Beach that they purchased after we were there. And it was kind of like a house studio that they had turned into a full, awesome studio. And that was still reel to reel. We recorded there, but I was kind of learning more about it. And I kind of knew what was going on. So I was able to take it in a little bit more. Mm. And then after, like during that time, while we were recording, I was also taking a recording class at the, like the local, like junior college, Mm. uh, near my house and I took a class there and I think it was right when Pro Tools editor was around. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I think it was a maximum of four or eight channels. Mm-hmm. And you know, you could only do like a few channels at a time. But mm-hmm. the instructor brought in his Pro Tools re- system and he was like, you know, hey, this is the wave of the future. And, and I was just kind of like, oh my God, this guy doesn't know shit. Like this guy is an idiot. Like, like dude, seriously, computers? Like, dude, I'm in a real band. We're recording at a real studio. Like, yeah, like yeah, if, yeah. If, if you want to go monkey around on your computer, then go ahead. But like, you don't know anything. And, uh, you know, but of course, you know, like, uh, like well, what, what's funny is like then later on, uh, so I ended up failing the class because I was just no, so no wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, but but the whole time it was just because I thought the instructor was an idiot. I was just like, dude, this guy is like, like, oh, he's teaching at a junior college. Like he obviously doesn't know anything. You know what I mean? Like if yeah, he was yeah. good, he would be good. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was it was so funny though because uh, actually I took the class and that's where I met. Um, Tepe and Eddie from the band Thrice. We were all mm. actually in that class together and we were all kind of learning about recording. So that was cool. And I, I don't know like how they did in the class, but I definitely failed. And then I ended up retaking the class maybe a year or so later mm. and ended up getting an A in it because I mm. actually paid attention, you know, but yeah. then later the, uh, the, pr- the engine, the professor, 
I ended up actually using his studio quite a bit to record drums for later records, including the sales. And so I guess for the timeline to get it straight, cause we're jumping all around. Yeah. It, w- it would be me kind of like graduating high school, going in to record the records, um, touring for a little while, then coming back, taking a couple classes on recording, touring some more, taking the other class, and then finally getting a rig of my own around like maybe say 2000. And then mm. I started record. And then I started recording bands, and then using his studio. And by that time, Pro Tools had evolved, and I think we were on like Pro Tools five maybe at that mm. point, because I had a 001, I remember, okay. and uh, I had a 001, which I think was five Pro Tools five, and mm. then. Uh, he had an HD system with like the pro control. Remember the old one? Yeah. Uh, and so they had that there at the studio and it was great. So I would go there to record drums and then do the rest of the stuff at my studio, like the guitar overdubs and the, and the vocals. And so we ended up forging a relationship it was great. And uh, we still laugh about how, you know, we've kind of come full circle around to where at first I thought he was such an idiot for trying to go all digital. And then, I kind of like, we've both actually gone the opposite, like kind of full swing where we went full analog for a while. And I had, um, I had a 78 Harrison, uh, 3232C for a while, Mm -hmm. um, which was like, you know, like the thriller console and all that. And then, uh, my friend Sean got a uh, Harrison series 12, I believe. And so he had that at his studio for a while and, you know, all about, you know, it's like, oh man, if it was made after, you know, 1995, I'm not interested, you know, like all <laughs> yeah, of, yeah, all, yeah. you know, all of his preamps world, like RC, it's like, oh, is it an RCA OP6? Not interested then. It's got to be that, you know, so it's got to be two Mike Pre's or a, I don't care. So, um, but yeah, so we went full swing there and then just recently, you know, having to work on so many projects at a time mm. have just gone uh almost completely in the box for for yeah. mixing you know because now you know i'm tracking with great gear and uh I, th- I think i think i had even like kind of posted something about like the sorry to bring it to to the dark glass stuff but like you know it's like i have uh, my bass player got a uh, all the dark, dark dark glass stuff, which in turn means I get it all, right? So yeah. um, so I keep I keep all of it here because I'm using it all the time and whenever he comes over, everything's just set up for him to go. So, um, but in doing that, like I'm always like a band will come in or someone I'm recording and I'll show them the stuff and I'm like, oh dude, just take it home, use it. Like you're gonna love it. And then of course I get so excited about sharing like cool things with people. Yeah. And then as soon as it leaves my studio i'm just like oh man like now i don't have that anymore yeah yeah so that's why the plugin has been so awesome because now i can still share with everyone but then still use the plug so i'm sorry i just get i get really excited no but that that, that's great (laughs) man like i think like i mean for me like i I have i own some some of the pedals and like for me like I, i started with with almost just just digital stuff and and for me the 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 fact of because i don't i don't have a like a specific place where i have everything set up so like mm-hmm. for me just throwing the plugin on the track and it's done like no no like power supply no cables no like nothing is yeah it's just like incredible you know like and yeah. and, and nowadays like everything is evolving and, and more and more and more like when i see like there's there's some like amazing eqs out there like digital stuff that I cannot live without them anymore, to be honest. Like, right. I, I can always like try to to get my hands on an old Pultec or something, but but I really like the flexibility of all the digital stuff. Like, I'm liking it more and more and more all the time. So, yeah. like, at least in Neural DSP, we're working very hard to make that jump like even further. So, mm-hmm. like that, like trying to take all these ghosts away. You know, like that's the that's the main the main score is like to to take this like eternal comparison like analog versus digital try to like you know smash it to the ground that's that's right. the spirit and it's a, it's a very yeah. hard it's a very hard task but it's incredibly fun i have to tell <laughs> yeah well and and what's funny too is because there's so many um i don't know if you ran into it but like uh getting people like comparing things you know mm-hmm. because obviously like let's say with uh with the plugin you're getting really like the 
the pure tone of mm-hmm. like whatever it is that you're uh, replicating or or modeling yeah, it's the, or yes yeah, it's, it's a model of the dark glass b7k ultra and the vintage deluxe ultra so yeah. there's two pedals inside already here yeah. So I mean, you could probably say that the 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 modeling is is almost perfect, right? Mm, mm, um, yeah. So, but then you figure if you're getting like someone trying to reamp that, like an out using the analog gear, there's so many extra factors that are involved. You know, yeah. whether it be like the cable capacitance exactly. with with the uh, the frequency response of whatever A to D converters they're using. Exactly. So, you know, it's like there's so much more involved as well as like having to to buy like the extra, you know, reamp box and that coloring mm-hmm. the sound. And mm-hmm. so, you know, even trying to get a an accurate comparison is even tough because yeah. there's all there's those so ex- many factors in between. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just nice. But like you said, yeah, it's nice to be able to have it right there, just ready to go, you know, and, and even now for, for me, uh, I was actually just doing a mix last night and, uh, the bass player, you know, basically, you know, one of those mixes where you get everything back and everyone's like super stoked. Then the bass player says, I love everything, you know, like, uh, he was the only guy with notes. So I just think the bass is a little too aggressive, you know? So within, you know, 15 minutes, I was able to just save that, you know, down, duplicate to a new track, dial it back a little bit. Okay. Here's version one, do another one. Here's version two. Which one do you like? You know, whereas, whereas if I would have, you know, been stuck with analog gear, I would have had to like set up my whole reamp chain and then do it again. And then it may have not even have sounded the same because of the extra factors involved. Everything, so, yeah, and, and like in, in the old times, like uh, like one friend had a had an SSL, like where he they still have they still have 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 it, but it's it's like on storage now. There's nowhere to nowhere to put it anymore. But yeah. I mean, they had to they, when they were recording an album, the, the 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 console had to stay on for two months. Yeah, like the whole thing had to be on for two months. Like the electricity electricity bill was crazy. I so, know. <laughs> plus, they had to use this transformer to like not turn on the system all the time, so they could like kind of bypass, but but the power was still running, so the, yeah. the console could be on all the time. And like, if they would have turned off that console, like the whole record the next day would have sounded completely different. Different. Yeah. Because all the all the capacitors were like cooled down or discharged, and then you have like so many factors. Plus, like some channel is like a little bit dirty, and that gives like that extra something. Than, right. You know, you plug it to a different channel, then it's a di- different thing. There's this old all this magic about this analog, but are are mainly things that you don't want. That in the end, right. of course, they they end up giving some kind of magic. You know, like you don't know what's what's broken inside the circuit, but it sounds right. cool. You know. Yeah. So there's there's something, of course always interesting on having this vintage stuff yeah i used to have that problem with my with my harrison and uh same thing you know i would have to keep it on all the time because Mm -hmm. of course the the one time that you know we're doing small recalls on like a hi-hat channel you know in this in the second verse and you know it's like oh man we printed in the recall and now something sounds weird with the kick drum i'm like dude i didn't touch anything like yeah exactly you know but and but you know you would find ways of working around. So I finally ended up making it to where whatever the recall notes were on, I would just punch in for that little section. So I would yeah. track the whole mix back into Pro Tools, and then whenever we would do recalls, I would punch in because that way the rest of the song would stay unaffected. Yeah. But it just after a while, it just wasn't. Uh, it just wasn't really uh, an efficient workflow. Yeah, yeah. Where I think that the whole industry is like aiming for efficiency, and and. Uh, more and more the the digital world is proving all the time that it's equally as good as the analog and there's many things that you can do in digital that you would never achieve in analog and it's like oh yeah it, it's impossible to do it it's just impossible if you want to have a room full of circuits just to do like that thing instead yeah. of like one line of code that weights like 100 kilobytes like right. it's, it's just it's just a joke, you know. So there's right. there's many things that that we have been like talking about at the office that things that we want to do some brainstorming and it's like imagine like talking to the dark class guys and and put this on a pedal like no fucking way like that's that's right. impossible. But right. in digital we spend like thirty minutes and we have a prototype, you know. It's 
And in, cool. the, in the developing part, it's also very interesting because like when you do analog circuits, you have to order PCBs, the PCBs fail, the manufacturer quality is wrong. Then you have like, of course, a failure rate. Well, yeah, like, tolerances. Yeah, definitely. The tolerances in the like, even where the knob is placed, you know, like, <laughs> oh yeah, my amplifier on, on, on at, you know, at five, it sounds like this, but this one doesn't sound the same. Yeah, no wonder that pots have a 20% like right. of, of, <laughs> yeah. of intolerance. Yeah. So like if your pot is like in the middle or like 20% less, then it could be the same. It's just right. like everything is different. So it's it's more random than, than you know, than accurate. Yeah. So the whole industry is kind of changing to, to towards the digital realm and slowly... And of course, it, it has taken time, but it has been fast, like the developing of, of all the digital realm and computers have been escalating so fast that they can handle processes that before was impossible. You were talking about the Pro Tools, for example, you started recording four tracks at a time. Now you can record what? Uh, how many voices that HD has? 1999? Is it for so, HDX system? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's like, it's so ridiculous to the point where it's like, why would you ever need that much? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. And also like what you said about like working on many projects at the same time opening these sessions and being able to just tweak some little things and before when you got a note from from someone on the band that you were like if you were already on another project like using the console for something else it, it as you said it was almost impossible to recall the same sound so there's there's yeah. many there's many advantages of 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 digital that that slowly are taking into place and uh, i mean i'm happy like yeah. of course but because i was born with this I, I i don't really i never really like recorded much in analog i i like it a lot but i, I don't have that that passion but many mm -hmm. people do and that's that's respectable that what you need to know is that there's different aspects of each that are good uh, that other ones that are that are not like that that's just the way it is right yeah i look at it like you should be able to use whatever tools are in front of you you know yeah, like i i feel very i feel very confident that i could walk into a studio that was 100 percent analog and i could make a great sounding record and i could mm. walk into a studio that had no gear and make yeah. a great record yeah. you know that's very important also to know to know your gear i've, I've noticed that that like at, at least for me like i i started using very very little pieces of equipment and and software and I was I was able to learn almost all my way with with just that, and you know like with one set of monitors, and then I learned ah it's it's you know it's not the monitors I have to treat the room, and then like right. there was another factor that it was not gear or more software or invest more money. It was just like you know putting some pillows here and there, or right. you know like when you're a kid you just you know do whatever you can do to make it sound better. So yeah. those those times are really fun, and you can learn a lot just just using what you have. Yeah. Yeah, I remember even in my uh, at my parents' house. I remember they, I think they went on a vacation over the weekend, and <laughs> I, I, I went to Home Depot and bought like uh, carpet, and I put carpet all over the four walls of my bedroom, and like they came home and they were just like, "What did you do?" And I'm like, "It sounds it sounds so much better in here," <laughs> <You know? laughs> even though all it did was just dampen the high end. But still, you know, like when you're just starting out, you can't really hear everything. So it was like, "Oh man, this is a you know." But it, like you're saying, you're searching for for that leg up, you know, always. Yeah, exactly. So, for yeah. example, now that you now that you have your own place in like like a studio place, I guess that that's the place where you work all the time. Yeah, the, the one that you are now. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, how how a normal day looks for you? Like, are you producing more? Like, you have you have managed to to go more and more to the studio side and tour tour less with the band, just more producing. How how does it how does the routine look to you? Yeah. So the band is is fairly. I mean, we so we share a singer now. So. Mm. Um, I guess the, the history of the band would be, uh, I started the band, it was kind of slightly instrumental. We were looking for a singer, found a singer. He was great. We did an EP with him. He ended up leaving the band right away and then starting a new band. He also sings for a band, Circus Survive. His name's Anthony Green. Mm -hmm. And so he tours with that band like pretty full time. And we've... And then during that time, I guess, after he left the band in like maybe 2003 or 2004, we got a new singer and we made two records with 
that singer, Cove. And I think he, he was in the band until 2010, maybe. Mm. And then at that point, the band kind of went idle for a while. And mm. then I went back into producing almost full time. And then recently in, what are we in now, 2018? So in 2015, I think, we decided that we were going to do another record with our original singer. And then we spent some time touring with him. So yeah, pretty much it. now it's at the point where the band isn't necessarily uh, like our, our main source of income, I guess. Mm -hmm. So and, and we all have kind of lives and other things that we do. Um, mine is in music and uh, the other kind of driving force uh, our bass player is also in music he does a lot of scoring mm. so um, so but it, but it's at a point where we don't have to do the band I guess which is kind of nice so we treat it kind of yeah. like a passion project mm. so so what we do now like in January we're gonna go to South America and do probably like a two-week tour in South America um, and then in January of this year, we did about a week of shows here in California, but most of the touring is pretty sporadic and short little tours so that we don't beat ourselves into the ground again. Yeah. So now the band is just kind of a passion project. So, um, which is also nice because, you know, there's not those stresses involved like that yep. we were talking about before of being, a you know, and, and every decision you make is whether determines whether or not you're going to be the biggest band in the world, you know, or mm -hmm. the biggest mm -hmm. failure in the world. So now we all just kind of enjoy it and we do music we like. Uh, you know, I think over the next couple months, I think we're going to try to do maybe... A, a small EP of some sort mm. and we'll do that here and it'll be a fun thing. That's great. So, um, but yeah, most of the time, my, m most of the time I'm spent split between mixing and producing and a normal day for me looks like waking up. Uh, so I have two kids now, so my kids will normally wake us up around 6am and then I'll wake up with them, make every, I make everybody breakfast and then we go on a little bike ride uh, like around the neighborhood and then we come back, kind of get them sorted. I come out to the studio around nine and then to, like today, well, let's see, today's not a good example, but yesterday my work looked like, uh, doing recalls for a record that I'm mixing in the morning, started two new songs for another record I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, I did a recall for another record that I, the third record that I'm wrapping up, mm. uh, at, towards the end of the day. And then okay. came, came in and I'm normally wrapping up around like six or seven for when I'm just mixing. Mm. But if I'm producing some, sometimes I might go a little bit longer. And those bands that you are producing now, um, like have you, which, which one is usually your perspective? Are you, are you working just as an engineer? You're working more as a producer, or you you really like write songs from scratch and build up bands, or which one is the the, the, the thing that that you would say that that is pushing your career as a as a studio guy? You know, I would say it's kind of a. I, th I think they all kind of go hand in hand. You mm -hmm. know, um, I think I'm. I don't want to say a jack of all trades, but I, I find that you know, when you're, you kind of have to diversify a little bit mm. because I think that if I focused purely on mixing, I probably wouldn't be very busy. Mm. And if I focused purely, you know, and it, cause you figure, you know, my work is probably split up probably about at any given time, it could be 60, 40, you know, sometimes depending on the season of the year or whatever bands they are, some bands want me to write with them. Other bands don't want me to write with them. Other bands want me to be heavy handed other bands is kind of just just hit record and get good tones so you know and, and i think that i'm okay with that because ultimately for me i like being involved like I, like we were saying i love making music and the creation of things yeah, yeah. so and and it's such a and it's funny too because people talk about people have asked me like what's the difference between being in the studio or being like on a stage you know and mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same in the sense of you're doing something that you love and you have people around you, I guess, 
cheering you on for it and giving mm-hmm. you and giving you validation you know so so it's a very rewarding thing whether or not you're on stage and you have thousands of people singing the words to songs that you've written or if it's you know three guys in the back of the room saying that that's the best bass tone they've ever heard in their life you know so it's either way it's extremely rewarding so but yeah i'd say it's it's kind of split between all those uh you know, uh, and I think like we like I was saying, you kind of have to diversify. Otherwise, you're you're not going. Depending on how busy you want to be, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also at the point where I can kind of pick and choose what I do now. Okay. So I try to schedule it to where I'll have breaks in between projects. So in case like a project pops up in in the meantime, I can squeeze it in the middle mm-hmm. or. Or that I'm not like producing records, you know, for six months straight. You know, I try to break it up to where it's like if I produce a record, then the next project should be a mix, you know. And if yeah. I mix, then you know. So I'm so I'm and I'm always kind of staying sharp because I feel like if you if you're mixing too much in a row, then you kind of forget the engineering side of things and and vice versa. You know, when you're yeah. busy tracking all the time, you forget how to refine things. So I, I think I think it's important. Yeah, that, that that's that's true. Um, and talking about your your songwriting side, um, how do you, for example, like uh, many many times, at, at least when I'm writing songs, or or even when I'm when I'm mixing something, or or if I'm in the stage, like you know, uh, for many people, I guess that we we record and produce at the same time. You know, like we start mixing on the fly somehow, like because crafting a sound is something that has to kind of be done at the same time. And there's, of course, the part of overdoing it and then mm-hmm. getting in your computer, trying to nail the tone. And then you have like four bars looping all the time and then you don't get anywhere with the song. And then after 10 hours, you're tired and you, you didn't get anything done. <laughs> yeah. So like, well, that's that's point. What that's that's one point. Like, how do you deal with the overdoing stuff in in in, in trying to get the balance on how you record your demos or you do them by but just just playing a guitar for example or how do you, and how do you face uh, this creative block like if it's if it's just you run out of ideas or you just cannot keep pushing rather on the mixing side or on the songwriting side i don't know where you face it when you say songwriting do you mean well so i think that i'm lucky in the sense that not only do i write songs for Seosin, but I also help write with other projects that I'm working on. Mm. So I get to be, I'm constantly inspired by the bands that I'm working with. Mm. So, you know, and as well as every time I, I get to meet a new band or, or work with a new band, there's always that kind of, uh, You know, it used to be like you would share your iPod with someone, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and you could like, oh man, let me look at all this new music. And you would like go rip, remember that iPod rip software? Yeah, you would like exactly. go rip their iPod, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, but now it's just great because it's like, man, what have you guys been listening to? Like, oh, send yeah. me a playlist, you know? And then I can like yeah. listen and you just get inspired by all this new music. Because most of the times I find that the the bands that are touring a lot, they're always like meeting new bands. And you know what I mean? It's like all mm. everybody's just intermingling. And then you're, and with all the music that's out there, You know, I mean, if if I were to try to go and try to discover new music, it's like, where do you even start? You know, yeah, it's like, that's the, true, that's true. there's so much music and you would have to sift through so much crap to yeah. find something that was good. Yeah. It's like, I mean, to me, that's like, <laughs> you're talking about like that loop of like the four bar loop, you know, and yeah, just constantly yeah. getting stuck in there. It's like, there's two huge like time warps for me. It's like trying to find good new music on your own, like with no recommendations at all. Like just, lis- just listening to like what iTunes or Spotify tells you to do. You're just like, <laughs> dude, all this sucks. And then... And then also like trying to find like the perfect like drum sounds or like electronic sounds. Like have you ever tried to like program electronic music? You're just like, oh, cool. And then it's like 15 hours later and you have a beard, you know, and you're just like, where did all my time go? (laughs) Like it's just like that to me, like the programming electronic stuff, whenever I have to do like extra production and like loops and trinkets and stuff, I always find that like, I'm sitting there and I'm staring at the screen and I'm like, oh, cool, I'm finally getting somewhere. And then I look at the clock and it's been like six hours. You know, I'm just like, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as, as far as staying motivated and like the, the getting past like the creative blocks, um, I think if you're a guitar player, 
the easiest thing to do is if you're used to playing a Les Paul or like a humbucker style mm-hmm. guitar, mm-hmm. pick up pick up a Telecaster. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, or, that's a good recommendation. Or, yeah, or something with a single coil. Because obviously, you know, if you're used to playing humbuckers, obvious, you know, I would think the first thing you're going to do when you pick up a guitar with double humbuckers, you're going to do one of those, you're going to do one of those guys, right? Or maybe like, you know, like you're going to start playing like heavy stuff. But if you pick up a Telecaster and you start playing those riffs, they just don't sound as cool. So it's going to, it's going to force you to play something else, maybe with some more chord or like top end stuff. So that's kind of how one thing that I found that's, that's really helpful Mm. as well as maybe switching amps or and that's kind of the beauty of like where we're at now with amp sims and stuff like Mm. if you don't if you only have one amp you can go in the computer and do different amp sims now you know and force yourself to you know or effects pedals or any of the kind of like more common stuff but i find something different get out from your comfort zone that that, that's very important Yeah. yeah Uh, like, but I find the yeah. big, the easiest thing for me is just the guitar, though. Picking mm. up a different guitar is just gets you fully out of that comfort because it's a physical thing too, mm. you know. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, and it's just funny how that that you mentioned about the electronic music. Like I, first, I t- started doing rock, but then like I got a little bit tired of like all the distortion. Like I know how the guitar sounds with like shit lots of distortion with not so much distortion six strings eight strings yeah. and nine strings like fuck i know all the drum <laughs> kits like from jazz and like bigger bass drums and like hitting hard hitting soft like you see by the end of the day it's like that drums and the drums are cymbals sound this way and then i started like i went completely away like i put my guitar on the stand for a while and i just went to buy a synth you know and no way and i got like completely nuts like you can design your own sound with this and i started reading about synthesis and i got completely nuts and then like i did a record you know (laughs) no way i did an electronic music record like from scratch like knowing and i didn't listen so much electronic music so i have like Mm -hmm. very very few artists that i liked Mm -hmm. and those were my influences somehow and plus all the bag of rock and metal music like huge backpack you know so right. what turned out was something that when people listen to it, uh, they react like, dude, this is not the repetitive stuff that I hear all the time. You know, people that, that don't listen electronic music oftenly, so they like, probably they don't know the styles or anything, like as me, you know. Yeah. So they're maybe trying to find something from the rock side there and they find it. And it's really, mm-hmm. like, really nice what, what happened there. So it's very important what, what you say, like, that that change like even if it's a simple change it's just grabbing a different guitar or like you know switch instruments i mean if you don't play drums like give it a try if you can put the right bells maybe maybe it works you know or maybe try to make a comp and then you will inspire the drummer or you can maybe program it because now you know how it feels to play it you know there's different different ways on trying different instruments that that's for sure right yeah yeah i mean uh you know, I'm 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 lucky because in the, in the band there's pretty much me and the bass player, and we're kind of like the main songwriters, mm. and we we both come from two kind of different worlds of of music. You know, like we always joke around. We say that Chris is like new metal Chris, and then I'm like you know Britpop Bo, and uh, so there there's it's just such a cool thing because. You know, I can I can come up with some stuff, but it's but whenever like whenever Chris and I are in the same room and trying to like start with a song, it doesn't really work. Mm. But then if I come up with a song and send it to Chris, he can normally send it back and it's changed to like do something cool, you know. And whether or not it's it's better is debatable. And then same thing with him, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. he'll send me a song and I'll change it and send it back, yeah. and who knows if we like it. Um, but it's always cool because we can just inspire each other. And maybe maybe those changes are, like I said, it's debatable whether or not the first round of changes is actually better or improving the song. Mm-hmm. But it does help us inspire us to get to a point of like oh well i like where you took it to that one chord change but i don't like the second one you did so i'm going to change that back and here's my yeah. original vision but this yeah. did kind of make it cooler getting there so i think also too having someone else to bounce ideas off is is very important yeah. too someone that you can trust yeah and also being able to know that person intimately enough to where you can send them a song and you know that it's like I know that every time I send Chris a song, I can, I can pretty much guarantee I know exactly what he's going to have notes about 
You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. I know, I know that he's not going to like this weird chug with the little thing after it. I know he's not going to like that. <laughs> it's like guarantee he's going to change that. You know what I mean? So it's important to know that like when you send someone stuff that they're always going to have certain notes about it. So you're not, uh, I guess. Expecting that everybody will like everything from it. Right. Yeah. 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 As well as, you know, because you definitely don't want to send it to a friend that hates everything because then you're going to send it to him and he's going to tell you everything sucks and then your yeah. creativity is going to get smashed. Exactly. So yeah. finding someone that has a good balance. Yeah, that, that's true. Like I, I also had like when I had those, the, the rock band or kind of rock metal already, um, I have I have this person as a friend, like I, we have we started playing guitar together and we have been in many, many projects together and it's always the same. He has this like his melancholy type of rhythm in in, yeah, yeah. in life and in playing guitar style and in everything. And then more like, you know, fast and beat and like riffs and so on. So when he yeah. grabs the stuff, first he slows the tempo, you know. And, and it's like, and it's super cool. Like I, I didn't notice that I could slow it that much and it feels more mellow and more heavy all of a sudden. I didn't need to drop down, tune the guitar all the way to like a drop, you know. Right. I was just taking down the tempo, 10 points. That, that's it, 10 right. BPMs down. And those, those, those things that when you know the person and you know him so well, you know what he's gonna send it back and you understand why he did it. So yeah. that or well, she, you know, but it's right. it's it's really important to have that person, and I guess that those, that's also a road of life to to get yeah. to, to get to form this bond. So it's not something that happens from one day to the other, but as right. as you said, it's a having a band and 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 contact with people, network with people, get to know persons, and talk about you know your passion. It will lead there anyways. So yeah, yeah. Hey man, it was amazing to have you. Like, very nice to meet you, and I hope that we can have you again. Like, when we have some more products out, maybe we can talk about, again about those. Like, yeah, how how did you like them? And we are cooking some good next steps. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very excited to show you what we're doing. And when when it's out, we definitely should have another one. Yeah, yeah, I would I would love to. We're uh, actually me and my engineer John. Uh, we're probably going to be starting a podcast coming up okay and just talk it kind of like what we talked about a little bit before and it's going to be all about plugins awesome so just talking about plugins we like new plugins that are coming out and talking with other producers that you know hey what's a new plugin that you liked how are you using it and uh it'll be cool you know it's just it's just crazy and it's so cool because the world is moving that way you know and especially like you said for someone like me uh, who was totally anti-plugins, mm. you know, and I talked a little bit about it on, uh, sorry, I'm going way over time, but, uh, it's fine. uh, talked a little bit about it on my URM, uh, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was so funny. Cause like, you know, when guys like Joey Sturgis were coming out and making yeah. records inside of Cubase with like nothing, yeah. you know, at that, at that point in time, I was just like, Oh, like, fuck these guys, these guys in their bedroom. Like they don't even know how to like solder. What the hell? Like <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really like, get out of here. You know, it was, like, it was like, this is bullshit. Like that's not a real record. Like you got to yeah. be on a tape machine in a studio, yeah. you know, now look at you. And yeah, now exactly. You know, and now I'm like fully embracing it. You know, I'm making my own drum samples and like, you know, oh, that's like, great. Every, every chance I can get, I'm just kind of like, man, like, you know, and like when, uh, it, it's funny too, because, uh, you know, I've got like, for, I have distressors over here and I recently just switched to, I have like a fully trying to be as efficient as possible now. So all of my outboard gear is pretty much, uh, for the tracking side yeah. and on all of my IOs, everything's labeled. So everything is like hardwired in. So like, I mean, you probably can't see it, but I have a drum, drum kit mm -hmm. in the back of the yeah. room that's mic mic'd up all the time. All of the preamps to that are just fully like hardwired in, patch bays normaled, everything. They're going out of the pre's into the EQs, compressors straight into the A to D. And then from there, it's like now the microphone that I'm using for this is always set up here for the vocal that has its own dedicated preamp and distressor. Mm -hmm. So what's been great about that is like now with like the distressor uh, plugins, mm -hmm. it's totally freed up my distressors to yeah, be able to Yeah, you don't need to, be... to start patching everything else. Like yeah. It's dedicated for that mic and that's yeah. it. <laughs> That's great. It's so it's so awesome. So yeah. I'm like loving just like the fact that uh, plugins are getting to the point that where we can rely it, on them. Yeah. Yeah, and they're so sick sounding. You know what I mean? Like like the, like obviously with the dark glass, like you wouldn't use it if it didn't sound awesome. So mm -hmm. you know. So I guess congratulations to you guys for yeah. making it 
Thank you, man. Rad. Thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, no, like I've, I have noticed like all the effort that and all the math that is going on inside like just one page of code. It's it's crazy. And you you say like, oh, okay, this this plugin actually does what they say it does. You know, like yeah. when when they explain it to you and you see what's going on, like then you start doubt, like you you stop doubting. Like ah, this is just a you know crappy emulation, like whatever you imagine that there is under that hood, you know? So right. it's, it's really interesting to get to work on this and like convince myself that do the, the software is just at the same level at this point. It's just for yeah. probably for many different occasions, like for different purposes. And as you say, you have your analog gear and you keep both. That's completely yeah. fine. That, that's great, man. It was really, really yeah. nice to talk to you. And let's, yeah, let's try, thanks for having let's try me. to catch up next, next time. And maybe we'll Anytime. see you at the NAMM show. I'll be there, yeah. Okay, awesome. Let's catch, catch you up there. Tight. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, all right, thanks, dude. This was Bo Burchell. Bo Burchell. Yeah. <laughs> Bu Burchell. Bo, Bo Burchell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, hey, nice to meet you, man. And thanks for awesome. being in, inside the machine with Neural DSP. Thank you. Talk awesome. to you See next you. time. Bye. Bye.